And so Colossians 1, 24 through 29, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read that. And then we're going to pray for our, for Pastor Vigiscar and his church. Um, his daughter, Rena, uh, I've got pictures and video and everything if you want to look at it. But his daughter, Rena, uh, they've brought into Hyderabad. Solomon brought her back. She's 12. And for her own safety, she is living with Solomon and Daisy and, and uh, Zoe in Peru uh, right now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Father in heaven, we, uh, we come to you, Father, asking first of all that you would bring glory to your name in this service. God, asking that you would open our eyes to see your magnificence, to see your greatness. And Father, that you would give us hearts willing to do whatever it takes to bring the gospel across the street and across the world. Father, we pray for Pastor Vidiskar. We ask you to give him great strength, to give him boldness. God, we ask that you would enable him to sleep this evening. God, it's evening there right now. We ask, Father, that you would heal his wounds. We ask that you would help him to lead his church in prison. We ask, Father, that you would give the saints great courage and boldness and fearlessness. We ask, Father, that you would take care of their families. That you would surround them with your grace. Father, help them. Please deliver them out of prison. Please open up those gates. And, and God, we pray that they might walk out free. Free to live for you. Free to boldly proclaim your truth. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So it's really interesting to me. Um, we we live in a we live in a unique place, don't we? Uh, in the world and in time, um, when you when you think about it, compared to the rest of time and to the rest of the world, uh, we just live in a, a, a really interesting place. Um, I don't know about you guys. Let me just speak for myself. But I've not encountered any extreme injustice on a regular basis in my life. Uh, nobody's ever come in and uh, taken my house. Nobody's ever done that. Uh, if they do, I hope they'll spruce it up a little bit, but they, they've not done that. Uh, nobody's ever taken my car. Nobody's ever taken my, uh, my bank account, my possessions. Nobody has ever done that. I, I would not consider that I've been oppressed, really. Uh, I've never experienced persecution on this kind of scale. Uh, I don't bear any scars or beatings or whippings, anything like that. Uh, most of us are not even slandered or falsely accused, especially before the court. Uh, on, on any kind of regular basis, or if at all. 
Uh, most of us have never known poverty as far as on a world scale, maybe in comparison to America. American poverty is really different than poverty on a world scale, but we, we've, not, we've not known that kind of poverty. And so, you know, just thinking about that, you, you know what you would think that that would result in? You would think that Americans would be the happiest people on the planet, wouldn't you? I mean, you would think that this would be the place where there's no complaining, no grumbling, no, you know. I mean, you would think that would be America, you know. Uh, what is it, Kansas uh, State song, Home on the Range, uh, where seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. I, I wonder if they've been to Kansas and if they've ever met farmers, you know, with that song. That must have been written before, you know, uh, the government farm programs or something. But anyway, that's just not my normal experience of American Christianity is that, you know, everybody is like over the top, you know, joyful, rejoicing, not complaining, you know, harmonious relationships, all of that. That's just not been my my experience. And then, you open up the pages of Scripture, and man, you got this. Like, like not just here. Like, over and 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 over again in the New Testament, you have this exact thing. You got these people who are living in abject poverty, in, in incredible persecution and oppression, and yet they're talking about their indomitable joy. I was reading with a group of guys at McDonald's this week, and we're, we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and we were in chapter 8. And, and we found this, this equation, okay? So, like, put this in a math equation, all right? So, it's talking about the Macedonian Christians, and it's describing them. And here, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. It says, in a severe test of affliction, okay? So, people who are being severely afflicted, okay, plus their abundance of joy. Okay, that doesn't make sense, right? But let's put it in there. Plus their abundance of joy, plus their extreme poverty, and then equals or has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And, and the guys and I were just talking like, how does that make sense in anybody's equation? You know, that severe affliction, you know, is coupled with abounding joy plus um, uh, extreme poverty. And that equals an overflow of generosity. All right, that, that just doesn't make sense except for the grace of God. And in the same way, here we open up Colossians, and we got a guy that's in prison, okay? we got a guy who is suffering, and we have Paul telling us that in verse 24 that he rejoices in his sufferings, okay? That's just weird, is it not? You know, I mean, we would expect I grumble in my suffering. Here's what we would expect. I grumble in my, in my inconveniences. We would expect I complain in my hard days. We would expect, you know, I'm put out by, by a stressful week. I'm put out when, when things don't go exactly like I, I have lined them up to go, then I kind of come apart. That's what we would expect, but that's not what we find at all. We got a guy here who's saying, and by the way, Paul is not saying I rejoice in spite of my sufferings. Now, now that's cool, actually. Like, you got, you got people that can actually go through suffering, go through a really hard time. I was talking to somebody at Fifth Street just a minute ago, going through a really horrendous, painful hell time. And to have a person like that who's rejoicing in spite of that, that's really awesome. That's not what Paul's saying, though. Paul's actually saying he rejoices in the suffering. Are, are you following me there? He rejoices in the, the sufferings. Now, what's Paul mean by suffering? 
You, you might be thinking, well, maybe he's just a wimp, you know. Maybe he means like traffic, you know, and he's got a hang. Now. He's got a sore throat from preaching. Maybe that's what Paul's talking about. Well, actually, no. You know, how do I know that? Because it's listed in the scriptures several times, kind of Paul's life. And so let me read one of them to you so we kind of know what we're dealing with here. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Verse uh, 23 says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman for far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one, 39 scourges. Okay? Verse 25, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, and night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure. Apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's what Paul is talking about. And in here, in Colossians, he says, I read rejoice in those sufferings what kind of madness is that lincoln avenue huh what what is he talking about how did he get there what how how can that even be possible let's unpack it a little more okay so verse 24 i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh okay and then you got this really strange statement that we have to understand i am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. All right, do you see that in your text? I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, what exactly does he mean there? Let me tell you what he does not mean. What he doesn't mean is that like Jesus died on the cross, you know, he was he was beaten and whipped and scourged and, and nailed up on a tree and he died and three days later he rose again. And Paul's not saying, well, you know, that wasn't quite enough. You know, so I, I got to fill up what's lacking. You know, he, Jesus didn't quite get it done. He almost got my, my salvation accomplished, but not quite. So I got to give it a little more. That's heresy, okay? That, that is not at all what Paul is saying. In fact, Paul wrote entire books of the Bible, Galatians being one of them, to combat the heresy that you need something else besides what Jesus did to bring salvation. All right, you don't. Like he accomplished it. Like Jesus' perfect life and his substitutionary death are completely sufficient for for my forgiveness, for my redemption, for my indwelling of the Holy Spirit, for my resurrection and eternity in heaven. There is nothing lacking in Christ's work on the cross on my behalf. So, what's lacking then? So what's he talking about here when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, here's what's going to help. It's going to help when we notice what the suffering is for. Okay, So verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Who's he talking to? A church, right? He's talking to the Colossi church. So he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for you guys, okay? For the body of Christ, for, for the church. And then he goes on and says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. End of verse 24. For the sake of his body, that is the church, okay? So Paul is saying, I am suffering on behalf of the church, of the gospel moving into people's lives. That's what the church is, right? You are people who have received the gospel. You're people who have heard the gospel. You've embraced it. You've embraced what Jesus is, who he is, what he's done, what he said, his resurrection life. You put your faith in him and you're born again. Okay, Paul is saying, those, my sufferings are for that, okay? Now, why would there be something lacking in the gospel, all right? So Jesus did everything he did on the cross, and now it's available to all so, so why, why is there still suffering that's needed to get that into people's lives? Well, 
the basic answer to that is because we're sinners, right? Like we don't readily receive the gospel. We don't. In fact, here's what the Bible tells us. If you read Romans 1, you know the defining characteristic of, uh, of all of us when we come into this world? We, we are not interested in God. Okay, that, that's the defining characteristic of a lost one. Read Romans 1. Romans 1 tells us that. We've exchanged the glory of God for everything else. But by nature, we, we do not come into this world interested in the things of God. By nature, we come into this world more concerned with what is in the mirror, with what is in the magazine, with what's in the mall, with what's in the television or on the gra- in the garage or, or, or in nature. And it's no wonder then that we don't listen to him, right? It's no wonder then that all of us have disobeyed him, that all of us have transgressed him. We, 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 we've not yielded to his laws. And, and so by nature, we don't, we don't want God. And, and so as the gospel goes into the world, it's going to meet the opposition of our sin nature. It's going to meet the opposition of the devil. It's going to meet the opposition of the world system. It's going to meet the opposition of, of all of those things. Now, it's going to be victorious, right? Like the gospel is actually going to make it to the ends of the earth. We know that. Revelation chapter 5 gives us this little snapshot of the, of the end of time. And, and you got all of heaven and earth, you know, saying this to Jesus. Worthy are you. This is Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you. They're singing this song to him. To take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And so we know it's going to happen. Like we know the gospel is going to make it to the ends of the earth, right? But we also know it's not going to happen without effort. Listen, for you to come to Christ, somebody gave effort, right? For you to come to Christ, somebody gave up time and attention and struggle. And I, I don't know how much. I don't know the degree on that. But I just know it happened for, for the gospel to get to America. Pe- people suffered. They struggled. They, they, there was effort involved in that. For it to get to other countries, there's always effort. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's going to demand effort and energy and sacrifice and service for the gospel to get where it needs to go. And literally, Paul is saying in verse 24, fill me up. That's what he's saying. Look look, look at the phrase. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. All right? So Paul Paul realizes, look, in order for Christ to be glorified, in order for the word of God to be proclaimed, in order for the the gospel to go forth to our neighborhood and to the nations, it's going to demand suffering. And Paul says, fill me up. Man, can you imagine saying that? Fill me up. Would you be willing to do that today? I just wonder, you know, we'll come back to it at the end, but I just wonder, would you be willing to say that today? I mean, is that something that's in your heart to say, hey, you know what, fill me up on that. You know, if Jesus backed up his truck of of suffering and affliction, would you be willing to say, I will take my share? Fill me up with that. If the reality is there is hardship that needs to be endured for the gospel. If the reality is there are burdens that need to be carried for the sake of other believers. If the reality is that there are risks that need to be taken and beatings that need to be endured and slander that needs to be tolerated. If the reality is is that there's time that needs to be sacrificed and truth that needs to be spoken that's not going to be welcomed. If the reality is that children are going to need to be taught and loved and fed and fostered and adopted and there's going to be meals made and people prayed for and comforted and encouraged and letters written and villages hiked into and water wells drilled and medicine administered and sleepless nights and frightful days if that's the truth paul is saying fill me up i will bear the afflictions of christ that's what he's saying and so in order for the gospel to get there to get to people 
there's going to need to be affliction, suffering. And Paul is saying, I, I, I am filling up in my body the afflictions of Christ. Now, now, now you, still, you think, well, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe there's another way. Maybe, maybe there's, there's, there's another way to get the gospel there. First of all, I don't think there is. There never has been. But second of all, I, I think there's, there's a need for the world to both hear the gospel and see the gospel. In other words, Paul's very suffering was a means by which people saw the love of God in Christ to the world. So, let me ask you, how'd you get saved? You know, we, we can answer that a lot of the different ways, but let me, let me answer it in this way. You got saved by Jesus suffering for you. That's how you got saved. If you're forgiven here today, then that happened because of Jesus suffering on your behalf. If you have the Holy Spirit today, that happened because of Jesus filling up in his body your wrath. Okay? But here's, here's the reality. There are people in Yemen and Turkey and Afghanistan and America that don't know that and have not seen that. And when believers are willing to endure affliction for the sake of Christ, they are displaying that to the world, right? Let me give you a little example of that. So, so suffering displays the love of God in Christ to the world. Okay, let me, let me give you a really cool example of that. So in Acts, Acts chapter 7, let me, let me give you a background of the book of Acts. So uh, you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John who are gospels, right? They're, they're, they're gospels. They tell us about the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, how he ministered, how he, how he healed and raised the dead, and what he taught. And then at the end of the gospels, you have Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead, okay? That's the end of the Gospels. Now, in the book of Acts, you have him at the end of his resurrection as he ascended, or as he, as he, as he, as he talked with his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, and he sits them down, and he says, all right, guys, you're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to fall on you, and, and the, the Spirit of God is going to dwell in you, and you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, you're going to take this gospel. You're going to take these words of life to the ends of the earth, and then, bam, Jesus rockets into heaven, okay? Now, not shortly long after that, we have Acts chapter 7, okay? And Acts chapter 7 is a great example of this. It's a guy named Stephen, okay? Now, as I tell you this story and read you the end of it, I want you to think, is there another story in the Bible that this sounds a lot like, okay? So, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's preaching the gospel. He's telling people about Jesus, and people hate it, okay? The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they hate it. They, they arrest him, they bring him in, and they, they have all these false charges against him. Okay, is it beginning to sound like anybody you know? False charges against him, all right? They, they, they try him, and he gets a chance to speak. He walks all the way through kind of God's story of redemption, and, and he ends with the gospel, kind of a punch right to them, warns them of, of having a stubborn heart of rebellion, and then this happens. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped up their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's when they, they, they drop a big rock on your chest and then they take rocks and they smash your skull with them, okay? So they're, they're, they're stoning him. Um, verse 58 then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's who wrote the book of Colossians, Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. Does that sound like any other story in the Bible you know? How about, how about a man named Jesus who was falsely arrested, falsely accused, brought before a trial, you know, not listened to, taken out and executed. And while he's dying, he says a couple things. He said seven things, actually, but two things in particular that are recorded in the Scriptures. Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Lord, receive my spirit, okay? What's Stephen doing here? Is this just a weird quinky dink, you know? Is this, a, is this a coincidence, you know? Wow, he said the same thing that Jesus said, you know? Wow, he got killed just like Jesus. He got killed for the same reason Jesus got killed. Is that just a coincidence? It's not. What's happening there? Stephen is displaying the love of God in Christ to the world, right? And he's doing it through his suffering. In other words, suffering is a 3D high-definition, Dolby surround sound demonstration that God is saving the world through Christ. Now, I, I don't know. I, I experience this today, all right? Because here's the reality. I don't know how you guys took that prayer request I gave you at the beginning. Maybe you just kind of jotted it down. Maybe you didn't even jot it down. Maybe, maybe you haven't thought another thing about it. Maybe you won't. I don't know, but that's not how it affects me. Okay, when I think about Pastor Vigiscar, when I think about 11 ladies, when I think about nursing mothers who are in prison for the sake of the gospel, and they could probably get out any time they wanted, just had to recant Christ, when I think about that, when I think about being, people being beat in a prayer meeting, when I think about a church of probably 20 and 15 of them are in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night, let me, just, let me just tell you what I think. We can't get our own people to do that when there's no risk. When I think of people doing that at the risk of their life, it roars the gospel to me. I'm on the other side of the world. And what those folks are doing right now will affect everything in my day. I, I will not look at anything today. I didn't look at anything yesterday the same way because of their testimony of suffering because their very suffering says this to me Jesus is worth it Jesus is king he's Lord suffering speaks you and I are justified we have eternal life. We have righteousness. We have the Spirit of God because Jesus suffered for us. And in the same way, when people see those riches being lived out in a willingness to do whatever it takes for the gospel, man, that's, they're seeing Jesus. Think about this. Here's what we believe theologically. The church is the body of Christ, right? Like, that's not just a cool phrase we use metaphor it's actually like true like the bible says the holy spirit indwells every born again believer right so you're actually an extension of jesus in the world right so so like that verse we memorized two weeks ago you know galatians 2 20 i've been crucified with christ no longer i live but christ who lives in me in the life i now live by the like this is we're living jesus life and so in a real way what happens to us happens to jesus what happens to us it's because of Jesus. Man, Paul learned this in a really spectacular way. I don't know if you remember the story in your Bibles. It's in Acts 2. I think it was Acts 9, I think it is. 
um, where, where Saul, man, he hates, at this time, he hates Christians. Like he's a chief persecutor of Christians. In fact, if you, if you notice in, in chapter 7 when I read the Stephen account, who's, who's there guarding the clothes, guarding the, holding the coats? Well, the guy's killing him. It's Saul, you know? I mean, he hates Christians. He kills Christians for a living, right? That's what he does. He, he's very much akin to the guy in India who's, who's, who's running this whole persecution thing in Wanaparthi. And, and what happens? Well, he's on his way to Damascus. He's riding his donkey. Jesus appears to him in all his glory. So bright, blinds him, knocks him off his donkey, and then he hears these words from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And you know what? I think he expected to hear. I think he expected to hear. Why are you persecuting those Christians? Why are you persecuting those, those peasants in Damascus? Why are you per- why? And you know what he hears? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That shook him up. I mean, that, that, that's the first time Paul begins to realize, okay, Jesus indwells his people. And so when you punch the Christian in the face as you're throwing him in the wagon, you just punched Jesus. And when you arrested the, the Indian saints and put them in, you just arrested Jesus. Do, do, do you see how this is lived out? Do you see why Paul is able to say, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Like, they're still persecuting Jesus. They just can't get to him. He's on the throne. And so they're going after his body, who is in the world. And Paul, again, holds out his life and says, fill me up. Fill me up. Now, okay, Paul, you're saying fill me up. But still, I'm hung up on this, sorry. How can you be happy in that? How can you be joyful, right? Like, doesn't happiness come when you have no problems, right? That's, that's, that's in the Constitution, isn't it? Or something like that, you know? I mean, doesn't happiness come when you have an easy life? Isn't that what we all strive for? Isn't that why we buy all that stuff that's supposed to make our life happy and easier and better and more exciting? I mean, that, so what in the world, Paul, are you, are you happy about filling up with Christ's afflictions? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, I think, first of all, because they are Christ afflictions. Like they belong to Jesus. I, I think that's part of what drives Paul's joy. Is that he realizes, you know what? Jesus has suffered on my behalf. Like, like you know why I'm saved? You know why I'll never go to hell? You know why, you, you know why I'm forgiven? You, because of Jesus suffering on my behalf. Jesus suffered like no man will ever suffer. Jesus is the one who had the glories of heaven and stepped out of that into poverty, into human flesh, into living a a life where he would be maligned and attacked and slandered and, and, and brutally tortured and hung up on a cross. And then Jesus did something that none of us can even get our heads around. He bore the wrath of God for sin. I've never done that. Not for even one of my sins. Never. Now, if I were not a Christian, I would someday. But as it is, as a believer connected to Christ, I'll never even know what that means. I'll never know what it is to bear the guilt and shame and wrath of God for even one of my sins. And yet Jesus bore all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our wrath upon himself. And now Paul is simply, I don't know, how do we look at this? Um, He's just... He's just enduring what it takes for the gospel to finish the mission. You know? He's just finishing up. But like, all the suffering for his salvation was done by somebody else. 
Do you see what I'm saying? That I think a little humility here really helps our understanding of difficult things we endure for the gospel. I, I don't know. Think about, maybe here's a silly illustration. Let's say somebody comes in and mows your lawn. And by the way, if you want to live this out, 3601 Cheyenne Drive. But anyway, <laughs> say someone comes in and mows your lawn, scalps it down real nice. You know, they bag it all up. You know, that first cut of the season when you got all that trash and stuff. And, you know, they bag it all up and haul it all the way. And then they come in and they edge all your sidewalks for you and come in and blow all that off. And they come in while they're there. They go ahead and go ahead and trim all your bushes up real nice and go ahead and haul all the debris. They go ahead and rake the, the leaves in the corner of the backyard for us. We got some leaves there from 1973, I think. But anyway, pack those up, you know, pile them. They call all them away. Go ahead and trim up your trees real nice. And they, they do all of that. And then they come inside and <clears throat> free, just love you, you know, wanted all that for you. And you're sitting down having a glass of tea with them and you realize that you know what I need to go out and turn the sprinkler on you know you don't have I don't have automatic ones and so you're there in your chair and you're like oh this is such a drudgery you know I gotta walk out out the front door the step you know go around to the side bend there's a little bush it pokes me you know turn on the spigot and it water it's not a tight seal it gets on my hand you know then I got to walk back in back in the door get back in my chair now I'm not comfortable you know get back I mean would it be advantageous after that to complain about what you did with the guy that just mowed and trimmed and scalped and and trimmed you know hauled away you know it just wouldn't you know if you feel that way you ought to keep it to yourself and in the same way, when Jesus suffered to pull you out of hell, do you, do you think it ought to be it ought to be a drudgery for us to suffer on his account to take the gospel? I, th I think that's where Paul's at. I think Paul says no. I think Paul says what what a joy. The disciples said that. Remember that and. Acts 5.41, where they're arrested and beaten on Christ's behalf. And, and they, they left, and you got this strange verse in Acts 5.41. It says they, they, they counted it a joy to suffer on behalf of Christ. It's for Jesus. Not only that, but man, our suffering is accomplishing something. You know, if, if I go through something really hard, I would really like for it to do something, wouldn't you? And... And how cool is it to know that everything you do for Jesus is accomplishing the mission of God in the world, which is the reason that everything exists. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that every, every, every meal cooked, every, every truth spoken, every prayer prayed is all about this accomplishing the most important mission on the planet. The reason that God has tarried in the world to, to bring the glories of Christ to every, every nation. To bring about the full number of redeemed into His kingdom. I mean, not only that, but guess what? You get a little something on top of that as well, because 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this. It says, this slight momentary affliction is preparing. Okay, when you think of preparing, think of, you know, it's loading in. So all of your affliction for Christ, man, what's happening in heaven is trucks are pulling in and they're, they're dumping. I don't know how this works, but they're preparing this glory for you. That's what verse 17 says. It says this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Man, 
Paul says, in all of this, I rejoice. So, let's not go too far. Should we, should we seek out suffering? You know? Should we, should we share the gospel real winsomely and creatively and articulately? And, and then if people aren't mad at us, should we kick them in the shins just to, you know, so we get a little, no, that's dumb. But, but here's what we should do. We should realize that we are taking care of God's business. And if there, if there is very little suffering in that, praise God. But if there's a bunch or a little or some, praise God. That's the way Paul looks at it. Look, look at verse 25. He says, of which, okay, so this filling up of what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Now, that word stewardship's a cool word. It means to manage something that's not your own. Okay, so it's like someone have a business or a restaurant or a drilling company or a grocery store or something like that. And they and they own it. But they're like, OK, I'm, I'm hiring you to manage it. And, and indeed, actually, that's not just for Paul. That is the way the entire New Testament describes your time on earth after your conversion. Do you remember the parable of the talents and the parable of the meanness? They're all the same. They all have the same points anyway. And what happens is the master gathers his servants, that would be us, right? And he entrusts his possessions, his business to them. And he says, all right, here you go. Here's the resources. I'm giving you what you need to take care of this. Now, now you go take care of what's mine. I'm going away, but I'll be back. And when I come back, we'll sit down and have a little accounting of what you did with what I gave you. And that, that's, that's very common in the New Testament because that's the way we are to look at our life is we are stewards of the business of God, of the work of God in Christ, right? Paul goes on to kind of clarify that, what that means, okay? So, so maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'm a steward, but I'm just the... Uh, I'm just the IT guy in the basement, you know. I mean, nobody ever sees me, and I don't actually, you know, do anything unless called upon. We've got a major problem in this particular area, okay. That would not be you, okay, uh, because we all have a very similar mission in this responsibility. And here it is, verse 25. He says, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Okay, that's what we're doing. Okay, that, that's what we're doing. You're saying, hold on, pastor, that's your job. But true, it is my job, but it's also your job. You're saying, no, 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 my job is to cook in the kitchen. Man, I'm so thankful for you. I really am. I appreciate those of you who, who make great meals for us, you know, several times a week. That's great. But let me tell you this. Your job is to do that with a view of proclaiming the word of God to people, okay? Your job is, is to do that in a way that brings God's word to people. That, that's all of our job. That is the mission of the gospel, okay? So I'm not saying we don't care for the hurting and feed the hungry and visit the sick and comfort the grieving and encourage the downcast and organize and mobilize funds for ministry around the globe. Yes, we do, but we do all of that truth speaking, right? So, so on, on Wednesday night, when we feed the kids, our goal is not just feed kids, okay? It goes beyond that. We feed them bread so that they would know Jesus is the bread of life, right? We, we bring them in, not just, not just we, we run buses, not just so that they would have a way to get to church. We bring them in so that they know that Jesus is the way, right? That, that's what we do. And, and so, so the point is, whether you're a cook or a bus driver, you're always showing and telling the truths about Jesus while you are grilling and downshifting, okay? While you are doing your practical ministry, you are aiming at communicating the message of Jesus. In fact, in verse 28, 
Paul summarizes the message. What's the message? It's Jesus. Okay, verse 28. Him we proclaim. Jesus we proclaim. The message is Jesus. We're going to look here in chapter 2 at a, at a terrible heresy that was hitting the Colossians church that was taking the emphasis away from Jesus. And Paul's like, no, the message of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, what Jesus said and did. That is our ministry. In fact, in verse 28, Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone. Some people we need to warn. You know why? Because you know what you do when you warn somebody? You say, look, things, bad things are going to happen unless you do this, okay? And in fact, bad things are going to happen unless Jesus is your king, unless you are trusting him, unless you're listening to him and obeying him and following him and trusting him and depending upon him. He says, teaching everyone, warning everyone, teaching everyone. And then look at the end there in verse 28. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, the mission of the gospel is not just fly in and who wants to receive Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, we're done with you. No, no, no. The mission of the gospel is every, every believer, we cultivate and, and, and grow them up into spiritual maturity. And by the way, we may come back next week or, I don't know, sometime. I hate to, I don't have any time. It's already done. You guys are hungry. But I would love to talk to you about what is spiritual maturity? Like, what are the, what are the characteristics of the spiritual mature? You might have time to talk about it in your small group, but Ephesians 4, 12 through 14 and Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 are great passages about spiritual maturity. And, and a couple of the big things there are spiritually mature people are people who reproduce, okay? We would say that about Mature humans, actually, right? But, but there are people who, they, they, they reproduce themselves. They invest in others. That's what Hebrews 5 says. He says, man, you guys are still infants because you're not teaching anybody the truths about Jesus. You're not sharing the gospel. You're, you're not making disciples. That's what it means to be a mature Christian. And Paul says, man, we labor. We labor and toil. Notice verse 29. He says, for this I, I toil. The word toil means to work toward exhaustion. He says, I struggle. The word struggle means to compete in an athletic event. It's where the word we get the word agonize. Paul is saying, this is, this is our ministry. And by the way, toil, struggle. We have a terrible habit. Let me tell you our terrible habit. We say, okay, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to I want to be involved in a small group or I want to I want to share the gospel with my neighbors or I want to be a part of a ministry. And then we get into it and it's hard. Right? Like sometimes the ministry itself is hard, sometimes our life is hard around it. And and you know what we do? Here here's here's our terrible habit. We say because it is hard, I guess I shouldn't do it. Right? Don't tell me that's not true, because I hear it every week. Oh, Pastor, I, I, I was going to do that, but man, my schedule is just hard. Okay, good, good. Now, what's the next point? Because isn't that exact? Actually, what we should do, man, dude, you're right on. You're telling me this is brutal for you. You're telling me this is, this is incredibly, you're telling me you're suffering in order to pull this off? Hot <laughs> dog, you are nailing it, okay? Isn't that what we're reading here? For this, I toil, struggling. You're saying, oh, pastor, you're saying that I should do hard things? Yes. No, I didn't say it. Paul said it. Last part, though, don't forget this. 
with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Whose energy? You know what I think we miss out on? I, I, think, I think of our philosophy as, well, that, that was hard, or my life's hard, and so I'm not, I'm not going to do that because it's hard. We, what we should say is, okay, because it's hard, I really need God's energy. I need his strength. I need his power. Boom, you know? Man, wouldn't it be a shame to live your Christian life and miss out on that boom? You know? Miss out on the power of God working through you for the ministry of the gospel? So, here we are. I'm just going to circle right back to the beginning. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of having an attitude that says... I'm not going to take the gospel across town or across the table or across the restaurant or across the world because it's hard. And what I really mean by that is because I want to be happy and I want to be comfortable and I want to be satisfied and I want to be fulfilled. Well, guess what? I don't think it's working. But I open up my Bible and I see a guy like this who's pouring his life out. And the dude has indomitable joy. So maybe we got the wrong strategy. So what if, what if, Jesus brings, he, he backs, he comes right through our wall. He could do it, it's his, right? Comes right through our wall with his big truck of affliction. Okay? And here it is. He gets out and he's got buckets. He says, all right, guys. This truck here of affliction, this is what it's going to take to bring the gospel to this community. To the children of the community, to the the lost, to our town, to your families, to your neighbors, to the nations. Go ahead, line up who's willing to take some. Now you got Paul who just jumped right in, didn't he? He jumped right in and, and and he said, fill me up. Already had some people stand, by the way, that's cool. He said, fill me up. I, I guess, where, where would you be? Would you come through the line or would you just say, listen, that's not what I signed up for. I just signed up for heaven, you know. And I, I really don't want anything else. Be careful there. I, I think tr- the translation of that is, I don't really want Jesus. And I don't trust him. So be careful of that. Be careful of what I might be tempted to do. I might be tempted to say, jump up right away. I'm kind of one of those guys. And, yep, yep, fill me up. And then like, as he starts to pour it, I'm like, oh, thank you so much, you know. I got a little bit more, you know. And I'll pull Fred right behind me. Here, Fred. Oh, yeah, stay there, Fred. Uh, yeah, get some more. I got a bunch. No, you can't see mine. No. Oh, what would you do? Well, the truck didn't come through the wall, but I think actually that's what Jesus is doing this morning. So, we're going to bow, and I'm just going to ask you, in your own way with the Lord, would, would, you, would you tell him? Would you, would you be willing to say, hey, Jesus, whatever it takes? Would you maybe be willing today to say, Jesus, I'm going to look at the hard things in my life a little differently after Colossians 1. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we ask you, God, to give us grace and strength to be able to say, Fill us up. Fill us up to be willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel to go forward, for the gospel to 
to go into our communities and into our our neighbors, our neighborhoods, to the nations. God, help us not to be scared of that. Father, I, I just pray that you'd help us to trust you, Lord. It, it's a scary thing to, to say, God, whatever you need to do with me, whatever, whatever it takes. But God, help us to trust you, to know that you won't let us down. That whatever you call us to do, you'll give us strength to do it. I believe that, Lord. So, Father, give us courage this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.